Last year and last term, we were talking about different issues each night. We would take some time and look at some issues. But as a team, we talked about it and we were trying to figure out a way how we can help and encourage you where you are, whether that be in school or university or work or, or wherever you are. And one of the things we can do is that we can take you to the Bible and give you some good ground-based knowledge so that when things happen in your life, when challenges happen, or even when exciting things come along, you know the Bible, you know what it says, and you're able to keep that in your heart when these things come up. So rather than look at issues, like we did last year, say relationships, we're going to look at the Bible and look at what the Bible says about issues as and when we come to them. So we're going to do a series throughout this whole term, all the way through to June, on the letters of John. And if you have your Bible with you, if you could turn to the letters of John. If you don't have your Bible with you, there are ones in the seat. If you don't know where the letters of John is, go right to the end of your Bible. You'll find Revelation. Before that, you'll find Jude. Before that, you'll find the letters of John. And we're going to be looking at 1 John and chapter 1. If you are using one of the Bibles in the seats, I believe it's one, page 1225, if you can't be bothered following the instructions. If you don't have a Bible with you tonight and you don't own one, please come and see me. We would love to give you a Bible. Uh, if you do have a Bible but didn't bring it, here's your warning for next month. Bring your Bible. And the best thing you can do is bring your Bible, get used to your own Bible, have a pen and paper, mark things, highlight things, so that when you go home, you can pick up some of the main points that you have learned. But as some of you are still turning there, uh, just to give you a bit of background on the letters of John, they were written by none other than John, uh, the disciple of Jesus, and we all know that he also wrote John's gospel. Uh, most likely John wrote it in a place called Ephesus, and one of the big churches in the early days were in Ephesus, and it was about 100 years AD that it was written. So we're talking about 70 years after Jesus died on the cross. So we're looking at a church with second, third, maybe even fourth generation Christians. So the church has been going for a fair while now. But the church faced issues. And in Matthew 24, 12, we read, Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. And that's what happened with the church at this time, 70 years after Jesus. Everything had grown a bit cold. People were getting a bit bored of the same old message. And therefore, wickedness was kind of creeping into the church. Now, these letters that John wrote, he had two purposes for them, and we'll find that out as we go through them. 1 John 1, 4 says that he wrote the letter so that everyone's joy may be complete. So this letter is about joy. It's about finding joy as a community. But also, he, wrote, he writes in chapter 2 and verse 1, that we may sin no longer. So you have a challenge that John is writing here, do not sin and you have an encouragement so that your joy may be complete. So that is the letters of John in a nutshell, and we're going to go through it chapter by chapter throughout the few months all the way up to June. So if you turn your eyes with me to 1 John 1, we're going to start in verse 1 and just read the first few verses together. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. 
We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. We'll just stop there a second. What's interesting about most of the letters in the New Testament, if you flick through them if you want to, 1st, 2nd Timothy, most of Paul's letters, it begins with an introduction of who the writer is, who the author is, and it usually describes what the letter's going to be about or who it's for. Um, So Paul writes in Timothy that he is an ambassador for Christ, and this letter is for Timothy, a brother in Christ. It's an introduction. But here John does something completely different and instead just goes straight for what he's talking about and why he is allowed to talk about it. Basically, he's saying, pay attention. I have the authority of what is about to be written. And John gives three reasons why he has the authority for it. His first one, we have heard in verse 1 and verse 3. John says that we have heard. He means that he has heard personally the teaching of Jesus. This is the disciple John who sat with Jesus for years, learning from him, listening to him. The second thing he says in verse 1 and verse 3 is that he has seen Jesus. John spent time with Jesus. This is a guy that watched him live his life, who watched him work through the day, who watched him get tired, who watched him uh, heal the sick and raise the dead. And then thirdly, John says, most importantly, our hands touched. Not only was John present at the crucifixion, he was present when Jesus appeared. He was able to touch the nail-pierced hands. John was making it abundantly clear that this letter he is about to write is coming from someone with experience. It's coming from someone you can trust. It's coming from someone who's not made this up, but instead watched it, saw it, touched it, knew what was going on. This letter has an authority to it. And John wants to remind all of us that that we are one family. And in one family as Christians, we can enjoy fellowship together. And we enjoy fellowship together because we enjoy Jesus together. So from Jesus, we can have fellowship. We are one family. We are together. And that is what John is trying to remind us here. And that in our fellowship with Jesus and together, our joy will be complete. And we'll look into that in a wee moment. But let's look to verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. This is what our focus is tonight. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. The The message that John was giving is what's by very nature, God is light. He is like that bright, white, shining light at nighttime that you see in a distance. He is like the light of the sun that covers everything. And in him, there is no darkness. Now, light just simply means holiness, purity, that God in his entire being and nature is perfect in every way. He is spotless and without blemish. And when we're told about darkness, in fact, there is no darkness in this holy, perfect God, what we're saying is there is no sin in God. There is no wrongdoing. There's nothing of any type of failing at all in God. But the thing about darkness 
is darkness is hostile. We were laughing the other day that um, Miriam's mum, see I, got, I get her own back now when she did her wee talk and pointed me out. Miriam's mum, uh, when she was at uni, uh, gave Miriam a box that had soil in it. Mm, it looked a bit dodgy. And it went in Miriam's cupboard at the bottom. And from this box of soil would grow mushrooms. Not the magic type, just normal edible <laughs> mushrooms. But the thing with mushrooms is they need a dark place to grow, a wet place to grow, somewhere that's hidden. And do you know what's amazing is that very, very few plants, very few things at all can live in darkness. And I can honestly say to you, they were the worst mushrooms that I've ever tasted and I've never eaten mushrooms properly since. Because things that come from the darkness just don't taste nice. It's not like a strawberry that glows out in the sun. Nothing good comes from the darkness. So when John is saying that God is light and in him there's no darkness, he's saying is God is perfect, in him there's nothing wrong. Everything that will flow from God will be good. And that's something that we need to remember. And as Christians, specifically, John is getting here, that we should not live in this sinful darkness. Because in God, while we live our lives in God, it is pure light and holiness. Ephesians 5.8 says this, For you were once were in darkness, but now you are in the light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. 1 Thessalonians 5.4 says, But you, brothers and sisters, are not in the darkness, so that this should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. You see, as Christians, John is reminding us that we should live in the light as children of God. We should not live in darkness. Or to simplify it down, we should live in holiness, not in sin. Okay, let's go back to 1 John and from verse 6. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Did you notice that first bit in verse 6? If we claim to have fellowship, if we have fellowship with God and yet walk in darkness, we do not live out the truth. You see, Leviticus 19 and verse 2, so way back in the Old Testament, hundreds, if not thousand years before John wrote this letter, in Leviticus 19.2 it says, Be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Being committed to Jesus means being committed to a life of good. More than that, being committed to Jesus means being committed to a life of holiness. We are to obey the truth. We are to live out the truth. We are to speak the truth. We are to have no darkness in us. And we are taught in 1 John that if we truly walk in this light, if we truly are committed Christians who walk in the light of God, who shun darkness, who walk away from that, then we will enjoy fellowship together. And fellowship is basically a church fancy word of saying that we will enjoy being a family together. 
We will be brothers and sisters. We'll love one another. We'll care for one another. We'll carry each other's burdens. When one is down, we'll pick them up. When one is high, we'll rejoice with them and we'll have a great time praising God with them. John is saying here, if we truly walk in the light, if you guys are truly Christians, then the community of Christians should be an amazing thing to look at, an amazing thing to be a part of. But let's continue in verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. How many times have you heard a person say, I'm not a bad person. I've never murdered anyone. I hope that's the case in the room tonight. I'm not a bad person. I love my family. I'm not a bad person. I've never cheated. And the thing is, people use these things because, well, they know they're probably not going to do that. So that must mean they're good people because they're not that bad inside. But the thing is, we forget about small sins. That's what we call them, small sins. Maybe we get angry and lash out. Maybe the odd swear word comes out. Maybe we're tempted to steal that couple of pounds from a friend. Maybe we're tempted to lie. And John says here clearly, if we claim to be without sin, if we claim that we are a good person, we've not murdered anyone, so it's all fine, we're good, we're okay. What does it say? The truth is not in us. You cannot claim to have no sin and claim to be a Christian. But the second issue here is if we claim we have not sinned. And here, this is the big problem in our age group. And I know that I've got a gruffly beard and I sound old and I've got three kids and I'm tired, but I'm in my 20s, if you can believe it. It was only a few years ago I left uni. I'm just a little bit older than you guys. But if we claimed we have not sinned, this is the problem we have in our age group is we think we're fine. It's everyone else that's the problem. It's my parents for pushing me. It's uni for not understanding me. It's the school for not giving me the right environment. It's my friend who tempted me. It's my sister or brother who fights with me all the time. And the problem is, we never point the finger back at ourselves. An example is my brother and I uh, didn't get on that well as kids. Um, I think it's telling he now lives in Belfast. Um, I've not moved away, but he has. But uh, we, we didn't get on that well as kids. We used to fight quite a lot. And I would always blame him. He was lazy. He was annoying. He would pick on me. And I'm ashamed to say I was the nipper in the family. If I got upset, I would nip my brother. Bearing in mind, this was when I was a little kid. So I'm not talking like adults nipping each other. But I would do it and I would rile him up. And then because I riled him up, he would fly off the handle and he would maybe hit me or he would get annoyed or he would get angry or he would slam the door. And it was always the same thing. It's Ross's fault. It's Andrew's fault. It's not my fault. I did nothing wrong. Or just even our young daughter, Leah, who says, I'm not bossy. I just like to tell people what to do. <laughs> we have to remember 
And we have to recognize not one of us is pure. Not one of us have not sinned. We have all sinned. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter if you're a straight A student, you say, yes, thank you, please, at any point. Doesn't matter if you've not murdered someone. Doesn't matter if you have murdered someone. You're a sinner. Each one of us are equal in that. Not one of us is more of a sinner or less of a sinner. Each one of us are as bad as each other. And you may think, looking up at the band and a pastor speaking and think, do you know what? Those guys are holy. Those guys are good guys. We'll be the first to admit that we're all sinners too. We get it wrong too. We do wrong things as well. 1 John 2, just skip over if you flick your eyes over to chapter 2. It says, my dear children, I write to you this. This is the crux of this message, that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. You see, in this one chapter, John has gone from just asking people to pleading with people, do not sin. Don't live in that darkness anymore. I don't know if, Ian, could you pick up uh, just the first image with, uh, from darkness to light? Uh, just the first slide from our talk, that'd be great. We're not to live in the darkness. I love this picture because what this picture looks like is the person is in darkness, but they are striving towards the light. That is what John is saying here. Stop living in the darkness. Stop trying to convince yourself that your best mates are those non-Christians that swear their heads off constantly at you, slag you off for being a Christian, and try and tempt you to do things you shouldn't do. Don't think that your life is still that life of going clubbing. Or even recently, I've been talking to a few people about dating, serial dating, or sleeping around. That is not your life anymore. That is not what you're called to be. You're called to live in the light. You're called to see Jesus in everything. And this is why we're not going to teach issues anymore. Because we look at the issues and we want to figure out the answers so we know what to do. But what I want you guys to recognize is don't look at the issues. Don't look at whether you should go to that uni or this uni or this school or study that thing or do this thing. Look at Jesus. And we have this corny phrase that we use a lot and I saw it on a couple of wristbands as well um, what would Jesus do and it's a term that we've used so many times and now it's kind of got a bit stale and a bit boring but don't look at an issue thinking oh what do I want out of this look at the light look at Jesus look at what he wants you to do Jesus calls us to live in the light and that is what John is reminding us and do you know the beauty of our God if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. What this means is, if you feel guilt as I'm talking, as I do with the things that I have done wrong, you don't have to wallow in self-pity. You don't have to sit in your guilt. You don't have to beat yourself up that you swore yesterday. You don't have to beat yourself up that you've stopped coming to church. You don't have to beat yourself up. You can go to Jesus. Jesus will advocate, he will talk to the Father, he will bridge that gap for us, 
And the Father will forgive sins if we surrender our lives. That doesn't mean you can go on doing whatever you like. Sorry, Father, didn't mean to swear. And then swear in the next hour. What it means is, if we surrender our lives, Jesus will forgive us. So as all good pastors do, I am going to finish with three points. It's unusual for me. I've done a 14-point message here before. But we'll just do three points. These are the three things that for the next month I would like you to concentrate on and just think upon and just, just let it happen in your life. So firstly, for Christians. So if you are a Christian tonight, if you have surrendered your life to Jesus and you live for him, simply live in the light. I've had so many conversations recently with people saying, is this okay? Or I did that. Is that okay? Dancers are in the Bible, and to be honest, if you're asking me, you probably already know that it's wrong. So here's my challenge. If you're a Christian tonight, stop trying to fit into the world. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. You're going to go to that nightclub, and you're going to stand there really awkwardly. I can't really say I never went to a nightclub. It's not because I'm holier than thou. It's just because I was terrified of them. I'm glad that some people laughed at that. But you're going to stand in that environment and you're going to feel awkward. You're going to stand in that environment while all your friends are getting drunk and you're being tempted to and you're going to feel awkward. As a Christian, if you fall into that temptation, you're then going to be racked with guilt. Why? Because you know in your heart it is not the life you are meant to live. And no, I'm not saying you have to be chained to church I'm not saying you have to be at every service, every prayer meeting, on your knees every day. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is just simply be in the joyful fellowship with Jesus. You don't need what the world has. You have Jesus. You have the Son of God. They have alcohol, nightclubs, swearing, sleeping around. You have the Son of God. That trumps all. Second point. If you are not a Christian tonight, and I want to make clear, I'm going to kind of pinpoint two type of people here. One, that have rejected or not yet accepted Jesus. Two, if you have been pretending. And the reason I say if you've been pretending, my brother pretended for six years in our household. We didn't know. And he pretended that he was a Christian. He came to church. He did all the right things. And then one moment he sat down and said, you know what? I just went along with it. But actually, I now believe. So I know there'll be some in the room tonight who are pretending. So to those who have rejected, not accepted, and to those who are um, still trying to pretend their way through. I love that John makes very clear. Don't be deceived. No effort in your life is going to save you from darkness. No good deed, no good attempt, no straight A A grades, no smile, no attendance to church is going to to get you out of the darkness. The darkness is led by the devil, which will end in hell. And you know, churches get scared of saying that because they're scared of people running away. But I'm more scared that you're going to ignore that message. I'm more scared that in the next few years, I'm going to see some of you young folk go down a road that will just not just break my heart and the team's heart and those hearts around, but God's heart. And so we're not scared to say, 
the only way that you can save yourself from that darkness and you know who you are is through Jesus in that fellowship in Jesus and surrendering to Jesus. You can run, but as they say, you cannot hide. God sees everything and he will punish those who do not surrender their lives to him. So I didn't want to finish on a downer, so let me finish on my third point. And with this, we'll finish. And this was for everybody. Jesus saves. It's as simple as that. Jesus saves. John, all he is doing here is reminding the people 70 years after Jesus died, Jesus saves. That is all you need to know. Jesus saves. You surrender your life, he forgives your sins. You live for Jesus, he blesses you in that fellowship of being together. I was talking to a few folks recently and they were kind of a bit grumpy with me because I kept telling them to come to church. Like, really? Church is early in the morning. I can't get up. Church is late at night. I fall asleep. I don't really get it. You can't come at night and can't come at night. Anyway, the reason that you will hear people from church say, get to church, get to church, come to the youth fellowship, come to Seoul, go to the concert, come to the prayer meetings, is because we all know that when we're together as one family, brothers and sisters, and I count you as my brothers and sisters tonight, that there is true joy when we just remember Jesus saves. And we are here tonight because Jesus saves. I can't say it enough. Christians live in the light because Jesus saved you. Non-Christians, Jesus saves you even when you're in the darkness. And to everybody, the whole reason in soul, the whole reason that we are going to teach you through 1, 2 and 3 John, why we sing praise songs, why we bust the gut and get all this sorted out, why we have our social time through the bank, why we have all of this, is because Jesus saves. And we want you guys to know that and we want you guys to live that. I'm going to just pray now and while I'm praying, I think the band are going to come back up. But let us join in prayer together. Father, just as we come, we're all from different backgrounds, different walks in life. Some of us are at school, uni, work, unemployed, Father. We've got different backgrounds, but we all sit here, Father, in one room. And Father, we know that Jesus saves. We've seen it throughout the years. Father, we read John and John saw it. John heard it. John touched it. John knew what he was talking about. And Father, I pray that each one in this room will grasp what John was saying. That we are to not live in the darkness, but we are to live in the light. We are to live a life that is holy. We are to live a life like we have been saved from the darkness. Father, I pray that for every heart in this room and for those listening online, you protect them from the darkness. That when the devil tries to tempt them to go a different way, that you pull them towards you. Father, I pray that when each one of us supports one another, we encourage and love one another to follow you. But Father, above all, I pray for those who are not Christians tonight, who are pretending. I pray that tonight they recognize that Jesus saves, that no effort they can go through will ever save themselves, but instead that you sent your son for that purpose, to save the lost, to save those in the darkness. 
Father, we praise you for a start of a term. We praise you for the band, for everyone here tonight. We praise you that we're going to be able to get a chance to chill out and relax together and just enjoy knowing that we are saved by you and that we can have an evening of fun and relaxation because we know where we're going to go when you call us. So, Father, be with us now and be with all in this room listening online as they go about their week and month. I pray this in your name. Amen.